Quack 12 fans, we got a we got a great game coming up. And a lot of people are thinking this ain't going to be a great game, as you can see by uh, my bookie here. I got it pulled up. Oregon is a 24-point favorite, but anyone who has been watching these Ducks play this season knows that every damn game, no matter who we play, whether it's an FCS opponent or the goddamn Ohio State, it's going to be a one-score game, and it's going to come down to the final minute. So, uh, considering we got probably maybe a heartbreaking loss coming up, maybe uh, definitely a nail-biter against these Colorado Buffaloes, we had to get one of our dearest friends of the podcast from the Ralphie Report at SB Nation, also from uh, the Ralphie Report podcast at The Buzzer. Uh, We got dear, dear friend Jack Barsh on the show today. How's it going, Jack? Uh, it's going well, and I, I sincerely hope that this is not the week that Oregon has a heartbreaking loss, because that would be truly confounding. <laughs> well, I, I hope you're not at the fa- the point in your season that you're thinking more about the Ducks' potential you know, long-shot playoff hopes than uh, a huge historic win for Colorado, my man. Oh, I'm not even a, I'm not a huge conference pride guy anyways. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I would prefer if CU went 12-0 and and everyone else went 1-11 or 0-12 in the conference. I don't care, <laughs> you know, if, if that looks bad for CU. So, uh, rest assured, I'm not rooting for Oregon's playoff hopes. I've just seen enough Colorado football this year to know what to expect on Saturday. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you're uh, not upset by things that make CU look bad because this season... <laughs> Ain't going so well. Uh, Just a a quick reminder for uh, those at home here. So first game of the week, 35 to 7 versus uh, first game of the season, 35 to 7 over Northern Colorado. It actually took a little while to get there, too. It wasn't a full on blowout. It was not pretty. Yeah, it wasn't too pretty, uh, but it was a win. And then a week after that, this game still has me scratching my head. It was... Mm. uh, 10-7 Ten to seven victory for Texas A and M, but it came, it came down to the last minute here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't sure whether it was like, okay, does Colorado have the best defense ever? Does Texas A and M have a not good backup quarterback? Is does Colorado have a terrible offense? And a lot of these things are true, but um, I mean, Colorado almost beat a team that beat Alabama. Alabama lost to CU by the same amount of, or A and M by the same amount that CU did. So I, I'm Therefore. not saying that if Alabama and CU met, they would tie. I'm saying that CU would win. Actually, <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'd put money on that. But I'm an idiot. Please, uh, I'll, I'll take that money. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> a week after that, um, then we had the uh, the Golden Gophers coming to take on Colorado. Oof. This was truly when you're like, oh no, this this whole damn boat is made out of leaks because mm-hmm. um, thirty to zero. I mean, mm-hmm. you you were hanging your hat on the on the CU defense, and suddenly thirty to zero. Uh, that ain't good. That, that ain't good. That must have hurt, I imagine. Beautiful day, though. There Great you go. day in Boulder. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. I, I Boulder sounds absolutely stunning. I, I really, really want to go uh, see a game. Maybe not this team, but eventually. <laughs> um, and then week after that, 35-13 to 13 loss to ASU. ASU really fighting for the Pac-12 South, unlike uh, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got 37-14 to 14 loss to USC. This one hurt me. You know, 
because I'm not a back the pack guy, but when I see the sh- the opportunity for teams like a Colorado, like an Oregon State to to beat this USC team, I mm. really want them to take advantage of it. Well, and remember, CU's yeah. never beaten USC in, in the program's never, existence. Never beaten you, and this seems like the season to do it. You know. Well, you know, I, you could say that the past three seasons. I, I, last <laughs> year would have been a great choice chance, but uh, USC had some COVID issues. And, you know, under mm. this year's rules, that's a forfeit. So maybe I'll just retroactively count that. Yeah. If, if only Sam Neuer was on the team. Personally, I think that's, <laughs> that's where it all should be. Well, we got another blanking. Uh, this time, Colorado blanked somebody. That's right. The Arizona Wildcats. Mm. That was definitely a uh, game that we were talking on our podcast about, like, okay, this is one of the worst versus one of the worst. One, someone's going to prove to be the actual worst. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you did it. C- congratulations. I mean, that game is – that was much more of a blowout than when we played them. Uh, they didn't have McLeod, I don't believe, when you played them. But still, no. yeah, that's something. And then a 26-3 to loss to California. And that's where we're at. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I'm glad to jump on. I'll, I'll leave now. <laughs> I mean, last season I was so stoked. I love seeing Neuer out there. I love seeing Colorado have a lot of success in a very strange season. Uh-huh. Um, right now, are you – do you have your pitchfork sharpened for Carl Durrell, or is it still hanging on the wall because, <laughs> you know, you, you got to give him some time? Uh, Good question. So it's – it's an interesting, weird mix. I mean, the answer is I think CU fans realize the financial situation means that Carl Durrell's not leaving this year, no matter what, pretty much. I think it's mm-hmm. a $14 million buyout, um, which is something that CU can't just get Phil Knight to pay. Um, <laughs> and also, it's – I don't know. It's He is one of two coaches in the last 15 years that go to a bowl game, so he maybe that earns him another year. Um, I don't think the Durrell – firing parade is is fully on board right now um it depends on how the season ends you know if, if the season ends with a two and ten year wins over arizona who's probably worse than northern colorado and northern colorado um and and they get blown out the rest of the way it'd be it'd be tough it'd be a tough choice um whether to keep him or, or let him go but there are some other names on staff there are some other people on staff that pitchforks are already well enough for so Oh, I'm um, sure. Yeah. Like that offensive lineman already got pitchfork in the butt right out of the program. Uh, the line yes, coach. The yeah. offensive line coach. Yes. And and uh, I'll give you, I guess, a salacious little piece of local radio show fodder. He was mm. found yesterday on, on Facebook Marketplace selling a lot of CU gear. So <laughs> I mean, uh, what else is he going to do? You know, I guess you get it for free. You get some money back on your way out of town. Why not? I love it. I love it. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've been asking this for other teams before we uh, bring on Day here to really break down the roster. Uh, I asked this for teams where technically it looks like we're, we're huge, uh, you know, we're, we're the top dog. We're about to blow out a team. I've been asking them, what would uh, a win look like for your team against the Ducks? And a lot of times these predictions, which seem lofty at the time, uh, you know, again, they look pretty freaking similar. Like, <laughs> you know, Rob Wong didn't think Cal had a shot, and then it really came down to it. Uh, so, same with uh, Stanford and such like that. So what do you think a Cal win? I mean, Cal, what do you think a Colorado win would look like here? 
Yeah, uh, I think two things. On defense, if, if Anthony Brown decides that the dirt is his best friend and his second best friend is a Colorado yeah. player, that would help. Um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, with Anthony Brown, it's he's a lot of who knows this year. Um, and I think on CU's offensive side, the, the best chance we have is if our freshman quarterback just turns off the headset in his helmet that connects him to the offensive coordinator and just runs four verts for about 20 straight plays. That, that would probably give us a, a better fighting chance to, to score some points. <laughs> There you go. There you go. If that, that happens, that... I'm going to be a genius. That that yeah. would be a truly effective prediction. Well, you'll be a genius if you put some money on it. I'll say that much. <laughs> uh, Hith, what are some of your observations on this roster here? Well, I, I really want to follow up on the offensive line question because, you know, to me, it seems like everything that's going wrong with Colorado is, you know, starts with and, and maybe that's it, you know, uh, with the offensive line. Cause I, kind of think the rest of the team including the defense the skill players uh you know in terms of the player personnel looks you know it does not look like a team that should be having this record um and but the offensive line you know they're up front every single play and you know they they can't run block they can't pass block and that's really bizarre because last year they were pretty good they sort of took the pac-12 by storm and uh you know with a rushing attack that was like lethal um it was definitely mm-hmm. led by the offensive line it wasn't magic tricks being pulled off by the by the ball carrier um and it's basically the same i mean obviously there's been some rotation and, and some injury stuff but it's the same four four of the five starters. They had a good, you know, couple of transfer options to, to replace William Sherman, who went to the NFL. They brought back the same offensive line coach, who seemed like he did a pretty good job the first year uh, in Mitch Rodriguez. And now the wheels have come off, you know, like it's just total reversal and Rodriguez fired. Um, what What's your theory on, on what's going on with the offensive line? Um. Yeah, it's a hard one to figure out. So four four returning starters, everyone coming back, same coach that that did pretty well with not his guys last year, um, and it's hard to pin it all on coaching. I, I do think that there are some personnel issues at tackle, um, but I will also say that uh, definitely the biggest issue in my mind is the the coaching. I I don't think. Whatever they're telling them to do is not working, um, and it, it looks like last year was, I guess, a remnant or a continuation of, of maybe what Chris Kapilovich did under Mel Tucker rather than a, a adding on a supplemental by, by Mitch Rodriguez. At least that's what it looks like now because we've seen a full offseason and year now under um, Rodriguez, and it's not good. So I – I, I struggle to pin it all on coaching, but that definitely is a large part of it. The, and like I said, the, the tackle rotation out wide is pretty rough, um, which doesn't help you either. But, you know, they're not even getting interior push. There's guys here that have done that before and aren't now. So it's I think it's just a weird, yeah, broken mess of it's, personnel you not know, getting it. Yeah. When you see, you know, bad positional coaching, it's like not helping a guy reach his full potential. You very rarely see like, oh, he's coaching them wrong. You know, he's making them worse. Like it's so, I don't know that I've ever really seen that before. Um, And watch more CU. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's just bizarre. Um, But you're right. It's, it's, it's stuff that's like, you know, you're right. There's, there's, you know, lack of interior push uh, out of the three, you know, the guards of the three guys who came back. Um, Mm -hmm. and, 
and then, you know, on the outside, you know, I, there's going to be a clip in my article where, um, where it's, um, Frank Phillip, you know, the right tackle, yep. you know, he's handling a twist and like, it's like, he's never seen a twist before. Like right. he's completely baffled by what's happening. And it's like, dude, I, I know that you know what a twist is, you know, right. it's like, uh, it, you know that it's totally bizarre and then on top of all of those you know sort of like the four guys who came back were kind of like why aren't you playing as well as you were uh they had to replace william sherman the left tackle um who went off to the nfl mm -hmm. um they brought in max ray ray with a w um uh from from ohio state i happened to do film study on the guy because he played a full game um against michigan state um in a, a weird game for ohio state in which they had a bunch of offensive line starters out and i was like oh good i get to do double duty watching this game because i can see who will surely be uh colorado's new starting left tackle um and i thought he played pretty well and then you know lo and behold i'm watching uh number 60 wiley play mm -hmm. his left tackle and um you know, I, it's hard to make direct comparisons because I, I don't think I've seen them both play against the same defense. But like Ray against Michigan State has looked looked a hell of a lot better to me last year than Wiley has looked against um, Colorado's competition this year. Do you agree with that assessment? Can you give me any insight about what's going on there? Yeah, Ray, Ray got a concussion the first week. Um, oh. So, but that was not, you know, it, it, that's been cleared for a while. So it's still a weird rotation where it, we don't, think Ray's hurt you know he's been out there for plays I think he played even in the, against the Minis against Minnesota in the Minnesota game two weeks later. yeah the Minnesota game was um well like everybody played against Minnesota like it was right. like a, this whole rainbow of dudes but also against Texas A&M it was basically the five starters except somebody was out and Ray played that entire game um yeah so, you know, so it's, it's like yeah he's available He's available. He's a little slight compared to his Ohio State weight, which might be part of the reason why. But it's hard, you know. I don't know. It's it's hard to, to parse through an unmitigated disaster and be like, maybe that's the reason it's it's, mm -hmm. it's not working. It, it something with the rotations was off. Maybe the coach just completely misjudged it, which is maybe true. And maybe Ray's just getting beat every time in practice. I don't know. Yeah. I, but looking at the games, it, I don't think Jake Wiley is a massive improvement over anyone. So. Well, it, I guess I'll, I guess I'll put it this way. Um, I please tell me if you disagree. Okay. I don't believe in 2020 when they had a really good line and it was anchored by William Sherman. I don't think it was William Sherman, future NFL uh, tackle, is the real hero here, and he's making the other four dudes look better than they really are. I don't think that, and then when Sherman goes off, then the line collapses. I don't think that's the case. That doesn't look like what it was to me that Sherman was covering up problems with the other four dudes. Do you disagree with that assessment? Um, no, definitely not on the on the playing field. Absolutely, I I think Sherman was really good at the job he was asked to do at left tackle. Um, I think he was still a more natural guard, and I really wish that CU had the personnel to let him play there. But mm. I think he was a good left tackle, and I think that wasn't necessarily him getting everyone else lined up. He played with some guys inside last year who looked really good last year. Corbin Purcell, um, when he was healthy, I still like him. He's a fifth-year senior, I think, this year at center, and he gets those guys lined up, or he did last year as well. Um, Casey Roddick looked okay last year. Kerry Kutch looked better last year. Um, these are all guys that are playing this year still, and yeah. <laughs> just don't what have what they had last year. It's, like, you know, it's not because of Sherman, no. It's either Arizona or, or Cal, one of the last two games where it's like, like this clip's going in my article where it's like he flings a terrible snap 
uh, commits a holding penalty and still can't prevent the tackle for a loss. And I'm like, dude, you're this dude's like a fifth year starter, right? Like something like that. Uh, yes, he will be going. He was a gray shirt, red shirt, three years. So yeah, this is his fifth year, and I think you could have one or two more with COVID if you wanted to. But yeah, he's he's an old guy who's made a lot of calls. It's just you know I'm I'm not trying to pick on him or anything or or point out like this you know this one dude uh I it's just like it's such a bizarre thing that I don't think I've ever seen before where you have like a very experienced line that was very effective and then suddenly it's like you know like 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 somebody's pouring whiskey into the Gatorade you know it's just like <laughs> you know it's like I I I I'm only partially joking like sometimes they kind of look drunk out there like uh <laughs> I'm just like what is all right. Yeah, well, I guess. Well, the end. I think to put a bow on it, CU's offensive line coach in 2020 and 2021 until last week when he was fired was hired uh, from the athletic director position at a Texas high school, and I think that's generally about what you saw out there. Um, I don't know. It, it it looked like that a little bit of like high school coach. It it, it was just so strange. Um, it, cause it's like you said, it's not just one guy, it's across the board. Everyone just doesn't really look like they know what they're doing out there, and it's hard to move the ball. If you don't know what you're doing. You know, interesting curiosity, the guy that they um, promoted from a, an analyst or a grad assistant or whatever William he is. To, yeah. Right. Uh, you know where he cut his teeth? Alabama. Under Mario Cristobal. Oh, well, there you go. All, yeah, I didn't know he's an All-American center. A reunion center. on the field. Yeah. yeah. He, wasn't, he wasn't playing under Mario Cristobal, but early in his coaching career, yeah. he was he was a GA or, or something, you know, while Mario Cristobal was the Alabama offensive line coach. So they yeah. know each other. Um, let's, well, let's talk about the quarterback. What do you think about, uh, Brendan Lewis? Um, yeah, so I, have said this many times before, especially on, on my podcast. I'm, we, Ralphie Report is a Brendan, pro Brendan Lewis institution. Um, has been since before he got the job when he was in between. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate it. Uh, JT Shrout was, was the competition this spring. He hurt his knee out for the year and it was Brendan Lewis by default. We still wish it was Brendan Lewis, not even by default. Um, I don't know. He's, he's, I still, like I said, the whole, the whole thing is so irreparably broken. It's hard to look at the stats this year and say there's potential there. Right. It's really hard to tease. Um, out. That's why I'm asking you. It's like, it's really hard to tease out the quarterback performance in a, in isolation from <laughs> the scheme, the offensive line problems. But like, you know, you watching this, you're, you're watching this guy every week, like, think he's a good quarterback or has the potential to be a good quarterback yeah without getting too angry i guess i i think he's being pretty pretty heavily failed by by a lot of things around him um i think the offensive coordinator is not putting him in positions that i would put him in as a freshman mm. quarterback um i think we know that he can do two things really well i think we know he can run outside the pocket yep. um he's not necessarily a run first guy but he is he's strong he makes decisive moves um he gets out of bounds he, he can move the ball with his legs and and, I, and you know read option there are some read option plays in this offense and like you know i see him making some mistakes but you know it's an, i don't think that the the deficiencies in the run game are mm -hmm. because he's screwing up all the time you know like he's no he's not yeah he's not making the wrong reads every time and that's why they're they're not making yards it, it's yeah, so part of that is him. He's 18 years old. He's a freshman, 19 yeah. years old. And it's hard to read a front anyways. It's hard to read a front when four guys are in your backfield, I don't know, half a second after you snap the ball. So it's – he's he's, he's having to deal with a lot, and I think the offensive coordinator is not making it easier for him most of the time. So I think a lot of – 
The throws are either intermediate routes or outside routes, which are hard. He doesn't have like a pop gun arm, but it's not mm-hmm. like he's zipping balls in there. Um, I think he naturally likes to go over the middle of the field and have nice looping stuff, but you know, you don't have that much time. So there's not a lot of out routes, in route, like quick throws he's making. Um, that's re- that's really so. the thing that's remarkable. Switching over to the wide receiver court is like, I like a lot of these wide receivers. You know, yeah. there's Jerry Rice's kid who has a couple of amazing catches. Yes. Um, and I will always say, I, unfortunately, not your fault at all, but I always get a little upset for him because his whole, his whole thing is Jerry Rice wasn't really a part of his life for a long time so oh, really he is jerry rice's kid but he also likes to say you know he's brendan rice so i it, once again that's like every national pun it's like hey it's jerry rice's kid mm-hmm. and i always like to be like yeah but yeah he's also mo- more he's also his own man brendan right, rice yeah. yeah well and chenault's brother is uh levante he's team. coming back that's exactly right yep was lavisca in his life uh, <laughs> uh, yes, they were both heavily featured in each other's lives. That's very good. Uh, yes, and they both, I, I think, still talk. I saw LaVisca recently at a CU game this year. So, yeah. Zavante, uh, um, was he suspended or well, he's missed some games? What was going on with that? Super, yeah, definitely suspended. He's had, a, it's just like a bunch of, I mean, I don't want to minimize it, but just a bunch of dumb college kids stuff. So he, he got a DUI, I believe, over the mm. summer. Um, and then was doing like parking tickets weren't paid at on camp, like just a, in academic stuff and, um, you know, say whatever you want about Carl Durrell, but he is pretty in, like, he has integrity when it comes to some of that. If you're not doing what he expects you to do, you're not going to play. Um, so Levante Chenault, Chenault absolutely would have helped, but he was suspended, I think, until they got a lot of that stuff in order. Um, he will be playing against Oregon though, sort of his kind of 2021 debut. Uh yes, I think he kind of played against UNC. I'm not yeah. sure if that's true, but yeah, um, this will be his first conference game at least. Uh, they've got uh, Dimitri Stanley. I've always liked that guy. But sort of the problem with their outside receivers is that like Lewis never has enough time to throw to them. You know, right. like you know, and, and so the guy who I think has actually been the most like productive on a per play basis has been um, number six. Uh, 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 Arias, Daniel right? Arias, yes. Um, simply because the nature of the routes that he's running, he's yeah. more, you know, given the amount of protection that that the line is giving Lewis, like he tends to be the the more yeah. productive, you know, big target, target, easy to um, look at. And, uh, and he's pretty good after the catch. That's the other thing that I've noticed, um, you know, both, both like sort of breaking tackles and, uh, and, you know, getting a few extra yards. I think he leads the, the, I think he leads the team in, 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 in yards per catch um or he did last year anyway mm-hmm. um and then we've also seen a little bit of uh uh the dude with the, perhaps the best name in the entire pack 12 months yeah craig um I, I do love him he's he's gonna be fun i guess my point is is like this is a full wide receiver core it's not like you know like oregon just played ucla and I, i'm not real oof. wild about ucla's wide receiver core kyle phillips oof um yeah, yeah, like their their top receiver is Kyle Phillips, who's you know he's fine, but like you're not building an, an offense around Kyle Phillips, and you're not building it around Chase Coder and, and sort of any of those guys. Like I think on a on a team with a better offensive line, you know this would be a pretty scary wide receiver core to be perfectly yeah. honest. It's just you know, and it's fairly talented too. You know, like yeah. I, you know Rice was a four star. I think three or four of these other guys were like high, you know, borderline four stars. I think Stanley was and, and Chenault, Chenault was as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, like, you know, we're not talking about like scrappy two star dudes who turn out, you know, like they're yeah, like it's, it's a talented group. It's just like, the, the you know, it's kind of wasted, you know, both because of the <laughs> offensive structure and the offensive line is, is my opinion. I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but like, is that what do you think about that take? You are pinpointing on why this season, uh, out of a sea of losing seasons that the Buffs have had since 2010, this season is probably the most frustrating. Um, mm. Because before, uh, under Mike McIntyre, 2013, 2014, 2015, it, it was the scrappy two stars that you were yeah. watching. It wasn't these these talented people. And it, it didn't feel like it, it felt like they were fighting. They were trying to get better, and it felt like the coaching staff was putting them and trying to put them in those spots. They weren't perfect, but you know it didn't feel like it is now. Um, now that that talent base is established, CU does have the talent to win more than two games in the first seven. Does have the talent to not get blown out at home against Minnesota. Um, but it's it's a complete failure from the people paid to help these guys get better um, to put them in those positions right now. It. it you know, there's absolutely no excuse for CU to be last in the country in yards per game, especially with the talent that we just mentioned. Uh, and yet, there they are. And that's that's not because they aren't trying. That's not because the kids aren't bought in. It's just purely because there is a massive failure somewhere along the line in the coaching staff with how this offense works. Yeah. All right. Just sort of echoing the question that I'd asked you about, uh, you know, Lewis in the run game is like, you know, it, it may not be perfect, but I don't really think the problems in the passing game have anything to do with the wide receiver court. You know, they're not dropping balls or failing to get separation or anything right. like that. It's it, it comes back to what we were talking about between the offensive line and the scheme is just like not not really using Um the second leading receiver on the team is uh, our favorite player, Brady Russell. Yeah. Uh, former walk-on tight end uh, with magnificent uh, red locks coming out the back of his helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, this offensive structure likes to use two and three tight end sets a lot. Yeah. Um, the question that I have for you is the other tight end. Well, actually, before we get there, let's talk about Brady Russell. He's pretty cool, right? Like, he blocks real well. <laughs> Uh, he seems very eager. He has CU's like longest catch, although I think maybe it was Brady Russell calling that play and not um, Darren yeah, Chevron. That is correct. Absolutely. That is uh, correct. You want to tell the story on that one? Yeah. So the longest pass play, as you mentioned, was a 70-yard catch and run uh, by Brady Russell against USC. Brady Russell kind of leaked out. Brendan Lewis was running for his life, found him. No one was on him and uh, just kept running until he got tackled. And after the game, Brady Russell in the post-game press conference said he was he was just set to block that whole play, um, and he noticed that no one was open. Basically, he had no one to block, no one was open, so he just kind of leaked out and uh, called his own number, and it worked. So yeah, it, it, that was that put him over 100 yards. And until Arizona, that he was a CU's leading receiver, I think, with 150 yards before the Arizona game. So <laughs> yes, ended his way to a touchdown. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um. I, like I, uh, Brady Russell to me is like the the like the happy warrior of the Pac-12. Like yeah, he, just like, whatever he's doing, he seems like he en- he's enjoying he loves being doing out it. there. Yeah, he he enjoys blocking. He he enjoys you know whatever role the offense has for him, and including designing his own role uh, in the <laughs> offense. Apparently, um, I do sort of think like. I don't, you know, I, I don't mean to pick on the kid, but uh, I sort of think the fact that Brady Russell is kind of Colorado's most dynamic player this year is, I think, frankly, I would put him ahead of Jarek Broussard, not as any knock on Jarek Broussard. Yes, simply it because, is concerning. like, yeah. 
because, you know, just the nature of the offense and where, you know, stuff is coming from, like, you know, it's a former walk-on and it's not like I see him play perfectly on every snap, you know, like I see him get beat blocking. Like he's, he's happily blocking, but he's, you know, happily he has obvious getting... limitations. Brady yeah. Russell. Yeah. He's, he's like six, three at, at, at best, you know, he's, he's not the biggest guy, but like you said, he's just happy to be out there. Um, and it's a shame that he's put in a position often where he is like the key guy on a lot of plays. Um, yeah, strange. So let's talk about the rest of the tight ends, because like I said, you know, the, this team likes playing multiple tight ends. The other one that I've been seeing in recent games has been, I believe, a true freshman, uh, Alec Pell, um, or a... Or COVID a first... freshman, I think. Okay, yeah. oh yeah. Um, and like, you know, I don't have to say, like, it sort of seems like this entire uh, tight end core is undersized. Like, Brady Russell's the biggest one of them, I think. Um, uh-huh. And and I'm just sort of like, there's a there's kind of a disconnect here. Like, like if I wanted to spend some time indicting Darren Shaverini and like, it sounds like that's a pretty popular pastime <laughs> in Boulder. Um, like probably one of the first things that I would say is like, you should not be playing a tight end heavy offense and a tight end dependent offense with this, you know, room of like 12 tight ends who are, who each sort of look like wide receivers. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, what do you, what do you think about that take? Yeah. So, um, it's, like I said, this offense is a weird, it's enigma wrapped in a riddle, shrouded in mystery, whatever Churchill said. Uh, it's like, it's hard to figure out where that call's coming from. Hmm. We know Carl Durrell loves tight end heavy offenses. He um, surely does. Yes. So it, it, I would assume it's coming from on high. Darren Chivarini, uh, in his prior years involved as an offensive coordinator at CU, did not involve the tight end that heavily. Yeah, he was running um, like a Texas Tech style air raid, which. Yeah, and his whole thing was he would try to sell recruits on being Jason Morrow from Texas Tech, if you know that name, but mm. it, uh, you know, it, it, we didn't really, it never really worked out that way. So I, I think it's a weird mesh of, that's something that Darrell wants formation wise is ace, you know, two tight ends as much as possible. And Shiverini is not comfortable with that. Doesn't like calling that, doesn't really know what to do with that. Um, but he keeps those plays in there. So I, yeah, I, I think that's a bit what you're seeing. Um, and the, the bigger bodies coming in for CU at tight end are, are not ready to play yet. So it, yeah. you're seeing guys like Pell and Brady Russell out there. Yeah. It's just, um, I don't know. Like I, you know, if I, if I were looking at this person, like if I, if I had, a, if I were Colorado's offensive coordinator and I didn't have a head coach telling me, you know, putting restrictions on what I could do. And I was just looking at this personnel list, like 12 personnel is not what I would be running. You know, I, I'd probably be going four wide. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and yeah, I just sort of think it's a, you know, it's a mystery. Um, Let's talk about the running backs. Uh, this this is or should be a bright spot on the team, right? Jared uh-huh. Broussard, uh, defending uh, offensive player of the year, and but there's a bunch of other, you know, uh, Alex Fontenot, who I've always liked. Solid, um, yeah. We've seen some reps from uh, uh, Ashad Clayton, who I think is the future. Um, Deion Smith has looked pretty good, you know, yeah. like. I think all of these guys are averaging above uh, four yards a carry. Um, you know, that that obviously includes, you know, the FCS game and garbage time. But, I mean, none of them are bad backs. There's a lot of them. It's a deep room. Um, and, I, you know, and yet Colorado doesn't score any points. I have a hard time pointing <laughs> the finger at the running backs for that. Do you, what do you think? Well, I, I will not point the finger at that. I think they're all – like you mentioned, great. My personal, I love Jarek Broussard. I've always liked Deion Smith. He's my personal favorite running style of the group, and I'm glad he's getting some run. 
Um, it sounds like a shot. Clayton, he's only played in four games this year. He's had some injury issues, so I think oh. they're going to try to shut him down and redshirt him if they can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the running back coach is, is CU legendary in Hagen, and he's always done a great job just finding guys that will get you yards. Uh, that's just something that's that has not been an issue with him there, and it is not um, this year. So the one time CU did score a lot, 35-7 against UNC, four different running backs scored, the four you mentioned are the ones that scored. Um, and that's, you know, they are, would be the driving engine of a successful offense. Um, <laughs> not the cards to see you this year, at yeah. least not yet. It, well, if the, if the blocking were there, I mean, that's sort of, you know, what, what I'm seeing is that it's like, I, I like all of these dudes, but none of them, um, none of them strike me as like the, um, as the like make their own running play kind of running back, you know, like uh, like Kennedy at, at Oklahoma mm. or, you know, one of these super bruiser dudes who's just like, well, you can't tackle me. So it doesn't matter how good the blocking is like they're running backs who are good at running through the holes that the offensive right. line creates and then, you know, creating some extra once they're through the mess. Um, but like if the offensive line isn't opening those holes, then it kind of like then it doesn't matter is sort of my take on the, on the running game and what, and what's going on with that. What do you think about that take? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think Broussard can try to make his own magic pretty effectively, but he's not, he's five nine still and he's, he's mm-hmm. less than 180. So he's not, he, you get a good hit on him. He's going to go down. Um, and a lot of people have free on un, uncontested shots at the running back this year. So yeah, yeah. It, it's, harder for him to make that work um i think they definitely need at least one hole to to run through but in in lieu of that you're yeah you're seeing them struggle (laughs) to just get any separation at all which it it just leads to frustration because you still see flashes of what brizard can do and what he did last year um when he can get out very infrequently out in the open field still makes guys miss gets the extra yards runs hard but it yeah yeah, I don't know. I just sound like a broken record, but with all these players, I'm like, yeah, I, I like them individually, and I, I know they, yeah. they are good, but unfortunately, what we're seeing now is it doesn't matter with with, yeah. <laughs> with what CU's doing. Well, it's sort of like, you know, when I was on your podcast, we went sort of back and forth on like the chicken or the egg, you know, question of the offensive line or versus the scheme. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know... And the reason is they they inform each other. It's like, you know, this offensive line doesn't work for this scheme and this scheme doesn't work for this offensive line, you know, and the rest of the skill players. And like, you know, well, OK, here's a hypothetical for you, uh, as long as we're on the running backs. Like, mm-hmm. let's say that, OK, Rodriguez out, Vlachos is in, Vlachos has a heart to heart with uh, uh, Shaverini yeah. and says, look, the only way we're going to win against Oregon is doing something to what Arizona tried to do to Washington and was almost successful at, um, which is we're going to try to control the ball. We're just going to like, yeah, we may not be blocking very well, but we're just going to like smash into them and try to get like four yards a carry, you know, just based on pure bruising style and hold Mm -hmm. the ball for like 50 minutes a game. Um, Let's say that Colorado decided to go with that approach. Uh, do you think they would change who their starting running back is from Broussard then? No. Like, would there be no. a better running back for that type, that style of running? Fontenot is is okay. He's a bit bigger. Um, I don't think they would, though. I think I still also love Broussard in short yardage situations. Um, if you give him one hole, he'll find it. But they, they that's not happening this year. So I think they'll keep Broussard. 
The main difference you'd see is there's a guy I, I also love named Jay Lee Stacks who comes mm-hmm. in from time to time, fullback. He's like 5'8", 250, or, you know, that's an exaggeration, but he's that type of dude, just a bowling ball. And I, I think if that was successful, they'd just start bringing him in it on every play, maybe bring in back Brady Russell as an H-back for like a full house thing and just try to like basically QB sneak with those two pushing the pile. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, All right. Which I'd love to see. So Let's switch over and talk about the defense. Um uh, let's see there. Uh, there's two very interesting player notes here. Um, number one is that, uh, everybody's hero, Nate Landman appears to be out for this game. Yes, Can you confirm out. that? Mm-hmm. He's not playing. The other one that's fascinating to me is that Mustafa Johnson, who I thought for sure was going to the NFL, uh, as a defensive lineman, um, is back and playing. And I was sort of astonished. I was like, you know, I was watching, you know, I was like, who got Mustafa Johnson's number 34? No, wait, that that is Mustafa Johnson. Like, what the heck, man? Yeah, so I guess a new NCAA, some legal rule or whatever, is if you don't, he declined a few training camp invites, Mustafa Johnson did, when he declared. And I guess if you don't, like, officially sign on to a roster, you can still come back as long as you pay what is it? As long as you pay what you paid your agent back, so you're at net zero, you can come back to college if you don't officially sign on to an NFL roster. Huh. Uh, something like that, I think. So that's what he did. Um, and he, he, he had to serve a suspension for that, and that re- lifted during the USC game. So he came back on for the USC game, um, and he's been he's been back ever since. You know, and it sort of means that the the defensive line, you know, I remember back in 2019 when I was writing my Colorado preview, I was like, I really like Colorado's defensive line. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, I like them better than like USC and a bunch of other teams in the South. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, we're basically talking about the same defensive line, right? Terrence Lang, Mustafa Mm -hmm. Johnson, Jalen Sammy, Janaz Jordan, Naeem Rodman, right? Like... Yep, all those guys, yeah. And maybe Justin Jackson's a face Mm -hmm. we've added, but those those five are basically the same mm-hmm. um i think it's a pretty good defensive line i think much of colorado's uh, past defense which is technically its best um quadrant of football you know uh, uh, in a per play efficiency basis uh, it's the only one above water um i think it can be largely attributed to a pretty decent pass rush uh what do you think Interesting. Um, maybe. Yeah, I, I would say actually the pass rush is, is, is sputters. Um, it kind of depends on – I think Chris Wilson does call a good defense, and I think some of those blitzes get home. But I don't think that rushing with four leads to a lot of success. Mm. At best, it leads to hurries, which is still good. Um, but I don't think they ever get home as much as I'd like them to with just four. Um so, yeah, it's interesting. If if you quit without me looking at the stats, if you ask me what would be the most successful, I would say run defense for CU actually kind of holds up pretty well given how often people are running because <laughs> they have a lead uh, and CU right. can't ever yeah, that's chip the, into it. So, <laughs> you know, when when I when I'm when I give those numbers, I'm I'm doing I'm excluding garbage time. So, I often wind up getting like numbers that people don't expect because it's like, you know, for example, you know, against Cal, you know, Colorado has like, I think they have like five, you know, drives to, to work with. It's just not a lot of data, you know, before it hits Oof. garbage time. And it's like, yeah. Um, and then the other weird thing about the pass defense is that there's this huge outlier, which is the Texas A&M game. Like they do really well in pass defense against, you know, Calzada, but that's probably Calzada, right? Like. Yeah, well, yeah, so he came in cold, um, and that, that definitely helps see you a lot. He was missing throws, for sure. Um, 
But I, I will also say, like I said, CU is not a total, complete, unmitigated disaster this year because I think the defense has been solid throughout, and that includes the A&M game. They basically just tried they, – they put all the resources they had at stopping Isaiah Spiller and Jalen Weidemeyer, mm-hmm. and they did a pretty good job for 58 minutes. Um, and I, I think that's still impressive. You know, you don't need to throw the ball successfully at either of those guys to get them going, um, and I think CU stopped them both pretty cold. What happened is the offense couldn't score, and that they hung around, hung around, and then the last two minutes, Calzada figured out how to throw a football, and yeah. Isaiah Spiller and Jalen Weidemeyer won the game for A and M. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was Calzada definitely couldn't throw downfield. That was something that wasn't in the cards, which helped CU's pass defense. But they also, I think, stood up pretty well to a really talented team. The other thing that's interesting about the defensive line is that, you know, when Chris Wilson, I remember we were talking in the summer and Chris Wilson was taking over as the defensive coordinator, which is a bit of a, a surprise move because his entire past has been running the 4-3. Mm-hmm. And when, in the spring game, we saw a bunch of 4-3 snaps. And I was like, oh, this isn't exactly the right personnel for it. And given how experienced this line is, you know, at running a 3-4, it's like, I don't know about a scheme change. And then sure enough, I turn on the Colorado tape and they're like, ah, psych, you know, we're, we're running a 3-4 still. It's still three yeah. down front you know um so you know uh, good i guess you know like good you know not trying to force a square peg into a round hole you know yeah well he's he's trying i yeah we mentioned this briefly but there's there was personnel they brought in over the off season from transfers that was trying to get that four three shift yeah quicker um jack lamb from notre dame's a linebacker that's familiar with that he's been hurt in and out all year robert barnes which is a safety linebacker guy from oklahoma transferred in he's was part of that four three shift he's been in and out hurt all year um mm-hmm. and and th- there's basically been a few personnel moves that were targeted at just that blaine toll who is a transfer from arkansas already transferred back out mm-hmm. um what it ends up being is yeah the, the guys that were there last year on the three four are pretty much the guys that are there this year at what would be a four three and chris wilson is smart enough to adapt to the personnel as opposed to just trying to do i mean hell that puts him in the like you know the top quarter of all Pac-12 <laughs> coordinators he's like well we don't have the personnel to do this switch to what I'm comfortable with so let's not do it <laughs> like oh, oh my what a revelation you know I, I can't t- Jack I talked to you know everybody around the Pac-12 <laughs> I gotta tell you that's pretty rare well <laughs> most of them are just like well we're gonna do it anyway because the only thing I know how to do like, just like <laughs> look if you're trying to convince me that we should fire Darrell and put in Chris Wilson as, in, as, as a head coach for two million a year I don't it's not always convincing it's that not needs. I will be Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, let's talk, continue talking about the linebackers. Um, uh, I have been uh, so Nate Lamon. He's great. Unfortunately, he's not going to be playing. Um, yep. He's far and away Colorado's leading tackler. All-time favorite. One of the all-time favorite buffs for sure. Definitely an all-timer. Um, over 400 tackles last year and his uh, last week in his career. So um, yeah, just the best, but not there. Uh, so. Uh, and on the line, Carson Wells also returned, um, number 26. Uh, he was, uh, you know, I think a tackle for lost leader uh, last year. Nation I think wide. he's been mm-hmm. playing pretty well. Um, and, th- you know, it is it, it's a three four much of the time. But but I also see them switch into a, like a, a, a three three five. They pull one of the OLBs and put a nickel in mm-hmm. um, for you know, in, in situations where it looks like they, they think the offense is more likely to pass. Um, but usually it's Carson Wells is the one who stays in, right? Yeah, they don't – I don't think they ever want to take Carson Wells off the field if yeah. they can help it. Um, yeah. So uh, 
the inside linebackers, um, the, I guess the surprise has been to me that the guy next to Landman has been Quinn Perry. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be confused with the safety Mark Perry. Um, <laughs> I don't think they are related. They are not. Um, I was expecting to be Jonathan Van Deest. Um, what's uh, what's the score there? Yeah, he's been uh, he's just been buried this year. I don't think he's he's seen the field, and I think. Quinn Perry was is an option. They like the run stuffing there, but I think the original plan was Robert Barnes would take over a lot of that um, yeah. work because he's so much quicker fleet fleet of yeah, foot. Yeah, Perry is so big. He looks like a, a trapezoid on legs. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I I like Perry for what he can do, um, and I think he came in. He was kind of recruited to be for a while at least a special teams guy, and I mm. think he's still a lot of that. Just he's a great gunner, um, and. I don't know. I, I like the way he approaches football, just trying to run as fast and hard as he can at the ball. Um, but he's a little slower, and Barnes offered some ver- ver- uh, versatility. Jack Lamb offered some mobility, but they're both hurt. J- Jonathan Van Deest, yeah, I, I, he's just been buried on the depth chart. There's, there's so no story there. do you there. think with, you know, it, it, you know, if Landman is injured, Barnes is injured, Lamb is injured, do you think that we'll see Van Deest uh, against Oregon? Uh, no, actually. I think we're going to go – you see a youth movement. We saw a little bit of that last week on defense um, just to get those guys ready for next year, I think. So you'll see Marvin Ham, who's who's been a retro freshman, who's number seven, I think. He's, he's a bit bigger now. You'll see a guy named Mr. Williams, first name Mr., last name Williams, um, out there who's <laughs> a little shorter, uh, but he's, he's pretty quick. I actually really like Mr. Williams. We – See, you stole him from UCLA at the last second um, mm-hmm. during Mel Tucker's recruiting cycle. And I'm trying to think of one other guy. But you'll see younger guys who are a bit faster, uh, I think, before you see Jonathan Van Deest. Was, uh, was, was Ham a late addition? Like, wh- when did he come yeah, in? Yeah, so uh, he was the, actually the first recruit that Mel Tucker recruited at CU. So he huh. was a Boston College commit. Flipped to CU and Mel Tucker offered him after the the I think the day after he got the job um, and then signed in 2019 has just been buried redshirted got bigger he was really small um, but he's super fast and I, I I like the way he plays. Last position group I want to talk about and honestly the one that it has me the most stumped simply because um, is the defensive backs and the reason that I'm sort of stumped on them is because. Uh, I, I, I are they good or bad? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, and I have a hard time seeing them, you know, play because you know broadcast angles are usually bad for watching the defensive backs. But for some reason, Colorado's—it's just you know an unfortunate coincidence. Like all of their games are being shot with like tight angle cameras, and I'm like really not work. seeing them at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so looks like starting cornerbacks are Christian Gonzalez and Mickey Blackman. Um, yes, I. I like Christian Gonzalez. I don't know what to think about Blackman. What is your opinion? Yeah, I think you might see that flip for CU fans. Uh, uh, Makai Blackman is, I think, has been CU's best defensive back this year, especially at, at the beginning of the year. He's uh, he's bulked up tremendously since he came here, and he's just a bulldog, which is fun. Um, I, I don't know. He, he presses up a lot. He, he makes some good plays. Uh, he, he's just fun to watch, so I think CU likes him a lot too. But Christian Gonzalez, if you had to ask me the most surefire NFL guy on in defensive backfield, it's Christian Gonzalez for sure. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of uh, Mark Perry uh, and yes. uh, Isaiah Lewis at safety. Who do you think rounds it out when they're in a nickel? 
Yeah, so it was Nigel Bethel who was mm-hmm. just out for the year. He's a speedster from Miami. Um, yeah. You've seen them go a, a bit bigger to fill that position. So Trevor Woods, who's a freshman safety I love, has been kind of getting time mixed in between there. There's a freshman cornerback named Tyron Taylor, who's number 28, a bit skinny, but I actually really like the way he plays as well. Um, and he'll slide in, I think, in the boundary, and then they might move someone closer. Um, so you'll see some of the, some of those guys go in in Nigel Bethel's absence. Do you have an answer to my question on whether this is a good or bad defensive back group? <laughs> um, I like them. I, I think they're pretty good. I don't know. It, it's the thing with the defense is they're always playing from behind this year. Uh, but I, I think in general, I think Gonzalez and, and Mackay Blackman stick to the guys pretty well. I have issues in the, the, the far backfield. I think Isaiah Lewis is good at when he can read the play ahead of time, but he's, he's a little slow for a center fielder and he gets burned a few times. Um, and Mark Perry's the same way, just crazy athlete, but he's, he's a bit slow to recognize. Um, yeah, I remember in 2019, I had a whole clip compilation of Mark Perry, um, as a blitzer, you know, he's a great blitzer. Yeah. As a nightmare blitzer, uh, you know, but then I watched him in coverage and I'm like, Hmm, maybe he should be playing in the box all the time. I think they would probably like to do that. And as, as they try to bring some guys along, there's a lot of young safeties that are great. They'll probably move them up. But I think the safeties are harder on, on the whole safeties are not good at covering and the, the cornerbacks are, and they're on islands a lot. So they might lose some of those battles, but I also think they win quite a few. So what you're saying is it's going to be a close one, but in the end, the buffs pull it off in the uh, 11th overtime. Yeah, actually, I think they're going to go for 13th overtime in honor of spooky season. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Both teams I mean, it make, really, yeah, it really amicable. <laughs> yeah. This this Colorado season has kind of felt like a horror movie, so it makes sense that it would uh, end that way. Yeah. Uh, Jack Barsh, you know we love to have you. We've had you on this podcast for some really strange stuff. <laughs> and just to, to blab your ear out and get all this uh, uh, college, all this Colorado knowledge into our head. Uh, we appreciate your work over at the Ralphie Report, both on the podcast and the site. And uh, we just love having you on, man. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I like talking about CU and you guys give me a very good platform. So, yeah, thank you. There you go. Well, and uh, if you we, we offer this to everyone, too, especially the underdogs. If you beat the Ducks and you just feel like coming in here and just rubbing <laughs> our face in it and just living it up, we will totally give you that platform. We'll, we will sit here quietly with our, our arms folded and, and just let you really go off next week if you'd like. So that, that's out there. Just letting you know. Yeah, that would be the strangest way to get the three and five, but I'll take it. Well, we know you're getting the five wins. You're not getting the six <laughs> wins, but you're getting the five wins somehow. Yeah, that would be a somehow. I hope so. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, last little thing I want to check in on. Uh, it seems like Ralphie, whatever number this is, Ralphie is doing six. well. Yeah, that's right. I- I've really appreciated how like the runners are-, are a little faster than Ralphie at times. Well, she's it- a young it- buck, 18 months. Oh boy, that's crazy! Eighteen months and like what, like six hundred or three hundred pounds? Six hundred pounds? She, I think she's up to seven hundred. Yeah. Oh boy, that's wonderful. That's good to hear. Uh, That's truly one of the best things in college football. So we always got to check in on our Ralphie. Yeah, well, I mean, at some point, like you said, you got to get out to Boulder, Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, she'll she'll be a complete insane Buffalo by the time you get out here. Whatever the next time Oregon comes. Getting the reps. That's right. And uh, Hith, uh, as always, 
Thanks for joining the pod. Uh, your knowledge also really helped us out here. And I'm excited to uh, chew through all my fingernails watching this game. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, that w- I, I am not predicting that, so. <laughs> uh, it's always a pleasure. Take care, guys. Yeah. All right, and we'll see you all next week on... 